0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Um, <clears throat> it's good to see you all. I um, think about any time someone stands here and delivers a message, um, just the importance and uh, the humility that comes with that because we're imparting in God's word. And so it's my prayer today that He can open up our minds and He can open up our hearts um, to His teaching. Through His Word this morning, and we're going to be in Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. And I'm going to be. It's my understanding there's a new way of taking notes. I sent notes, and I said, "Hey, there's this new way of taking notes." And so, if you have the ability in front of you to um, take uh, the notes that you're familiar with, I will do my best to try to highlight the key points as we work our way through. Because I think every message needs to accomplish two things: it needs to provide the hope and the reminder of that hope that comes in Jesus Christ for our lives. And I think the second thing that it does is it gives a practical application for us to take into the coming week ahead. In our daily interactions with people, in the lives that we lead, we need to take the Word of God and we need to take it to the world around us. And that's what I hope to accomplish again here this morning. I know Mike's been doing a great study on the book of Hosea, and he asked me if I would help out this morning. And I am very fortunate and feel very blessed to be up here getting to do that. Um, And he gave me a great set of verses. He gave me, I think, one of the best parts of Hosea. And that's in chapter 11, 8 through 11. Because I think inside of these verses are the very words of truth and wisdom that puts this all together for us. It's what ties the Old and the New Testament together. And that is simply this. It's God's faithfulness and mercy. Mike mentioned our relentless pursuit of him I think there's also a relentless pursuit of God toward us. This relentless faithfulness and mercy that God brings to us, which ultimately can restore every single heart, it can restore every single mind, and he does that through his son, Jesus Christ. That's where the Old Testament is heading. That's where the New Testament brings the good news. So one main idea and one key image that I want to focus on in this morning's message is this. Number one, the entire message of this book. The entire message is the revelation of God's unrelenting commitment to restoring his creation and he does that through his son Jesus Christ. We have nothing to stand on in front of a holy God except our faith in him. Only by him we are saved. That's a critical message. But then it also has critical implications for our lives. If, if I could ask you to take a look at this image for me. Nick, if you can throw this up here. Because this is what was really dwelling in my mind as I was thinking about this message. Does anyone recognize this? All right, very good. This is Michelangelo's David. It's considered the greatest piece of work ever prepared by human hands. And this is why this is significant to introduce the message here this morning. Michelangelo spoke about the creation of this sculpture. And when he did so, he described it like this. When we see a block of marble or a block of rock, we see a block of rock. But to an artistic genius, he sees that. And so Michelangelo described this making of this statue, which took a great part of his life. He said, I wasn't creating David out of marble He goes, he was already in there. My job was to restore him. And I thought, what an amazing perspective from an artist. Now, on a human level, for someone to see a block of marble and in his mind already see that and get it to that point, that's an amazing act of restoration. He restored, he said, that statue from a block of marble. And so if a human like Michelangelo can restore A block of marble to create that image. What do you think the ultimate restorer can do in our lives? So I want us to focus on that idea as well today. What is the power that God has? His unrelenting pursuit of us in order to restore our hearts, restore our minds, and put us on a path that allows us to not only live full lives here, but prepares us for eternity with him. So as Mike's probably talked to you a little bit about already, there's an interesting background about Hosea. Um, In in a way, his story is a lot like the parallel of God's story with Israel. Hosea has a covenant with his wife, Gomer. And as we know, as we learn through Scripture, Gomer is going to break that covenant over and over again. In fact, God even warns him, she's not going to be faithful to you. Now I think of any of us guys... (laughs) Who, if we were told the night before we're going to get married, hey, by the way, your wife is going to be unfaithful to you throughout your life. How we would respond to that. Would we stay faithful? Would we stay true? But in a way, Hosea's steadfast love for his wife, despite all of the times that she turns her back on him, is very much the same parallel that God has with Israel. And I want you to see those running parallels as we go through these verses. Because Gomer deserves a lot worse than she gets from Hosea. And at the same time, the the, the nation of Israel deserves the same thing from God. Throughout this book, Israel is portrayed as being ignorant of God. It's portrayed as being wicked. The people are wicked in their ways. And they have no desire to please him. I don't know if that sounds familiar to 2016. But this story, this book, was written almost 3,000 years ago. And yet we still see the same themes over and over again. We still know about the wickedness inside of our souls. We still know about the wickedness that goes on in the world. Just look at the current presidential race. <laughs> or if I could get off just a little bit on a tangent here on a soapbox, I wonder what's going to happen when we go to Target from now on. <laughs> okay? There's a lot of really crazy things that feels like that are going on in our world today. Things that we have to be conscious of and aware of. But we also have to remember that God is always in control. <laughs> and We have to keep that faith. God is always in control. And here's what he says in Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. He says, how can I give up Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboiim? And this is the key verse here. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion, it's a big word here, all my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man. The Holy One among you, I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves, And I will settle them in their home, declares the Lord. Now that's powerful. Because in this passage and throughout the history of his relationship with his creation, God experiences this conflict between justice, what we deserve, and his love and his mercy that saves us. We deserve death because of our sin. And so God has this conundrum. How do I maintain my justice because I'm a true and holy God? I'm a perfect God. How do I rectify the imperfectness of my creation? And the ultimate answer, of course, came in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his Son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that's the relationship between the restored us and the restorer and we learn a lot about that not only through Hosea but as I take us through a couple of passages and what Jesus teaches and what the Apostle Paul is going to teach our lives are a constant movement toward continual restoration and that continual restoration comes when we are finally so broken that there's only one thing for us to do and that is to finally and ultimately surrender to his power to his grace, and to his mercy. I want to share with you some verses from Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to verse 36. This particular passage took on an unbelievable new meaning for me this year. And I won't read the whole thing. I'll fill in a little and then I'll get to, I think, what are the key points that Jesus is going to say. This is the part where Jesus goes to visit Simon the Pharisee. And if you remember, he comes across a prostitute. And as he comes across this prostitute, she is so completely enthralled by this Savior. What does she immediately do? She bows down, she gets on her knees, she's weeping so much in front of him. Her tears are washing his feet, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And here's what happens in verse 41. Actually, let's go back to 40 for a second. Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, oh, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet, her feet, wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And he also says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And by nature then, who has been forgiven a lot... Forgives a lot. Does that make sense? You ever seen that play out in your own life? You know, this, this hit me particularly hard um, over the last few months because uh, I've had quite a year um, and it all began back in August. I, I had, a, had a heart issue for a while that I knew about that was detected, but I just kind of kept going through life and I didn't think much about it until one day I wound up in Mayo Clinic. Um, And I won't go into the whole story of it, but I'll simply say this. What was supposed to be about a three-hour procedure turned into nine hours, and I'm woken up, and they're telling me I got all these crazy things that they're rewiring. It's it's an electrical issue, they said, not a plumbing issue. So nothing's clogged, but it was an electrical issue. And basically how I could describe it is this, and I knew this, I just felt this way for years, but I always felt like I was was revved up 24-7, And you're all going, uh, yeah, we kind of noticed that too. But um, I always just felt revved up. I couldn't figure out why. You know, is there something in my brain? Is there something, what what in the world is going on? Well, basically, to make a long story short, I had this extra wiring in my heart. And so every time my heart sent an impulse, instead of stopping and going again, ba-bump, 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 it would just recircuit within my heart. And so they found one on one side of my ventricle and they wake me up nine hours later because they didn't get to all of it because they realized there was one on the other side. So I basically had this going on in my heart for years. And I laid there, and I could do absolutely nothing. I'm laying here watching these monitors. They finally had to wake me up out of anesthesia because it was almost, i slept through the whole thing, thank heavens. But they weren't done yet, and they had to wake me up. And they, I just remember laying there and seeing these screens and seeing these little things that they were lining through my heart, and I... It was was surreal, and I'm laying there, and I'm telling you, I'm I'm completely helpless, and I'm listening to them as they're pumping adrenaline into my heart to try to find these arrhythmic places, and so I could feel my heart going about 240, and they're trying to find the places that they have to repair, and now I get to watch all of this, and it was the most surreal experience I, I, I could ever imagine, and it was so surreal that they had to bring me back a month later to finish up the other half. And the bottom line is, I, I was very lucky. Um, I was, quote, or the doctor um, who did the operation was basically saying, Jeff, you, you were ticking time bomb. Uh, this, this, I've never seen something quiet, and this guy's been doing this for years. He goes, "This is very rare that something like this would happen in both places like this, and we're just glad we got it. And then he asked me another question that really hit me hard. He said, uh, do you have much stress in your life? Um, and I said, well... As a matter of fact, I, I'm pretty, pretty busy. And he said to me, he said, you know, I, can, I fixed this once, but now it's up to you to fix it forever. And I look back and I share this with you now because um, we, all, we, all, we all care about each other, we love each other. I look back over that year and it took me a while. It was so hard for me to even sit still after trying to recover from this thing. So that was a fight in itself. But what I realized... In the still moments when I allowed myself to be still was that I allowed my schedule to get so busy, and, and, and in one half, I was thinking about it, well i 'm doing these things because they 're all important, and I 'm trying to help, but i 'll tell you what was underneath it, and God smacked me right in the face with it. Some of it was pride, <laughs> it was pride. Man, I loved thinking, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this and it just busied my life and busied my life and pretty soon it began to take a toll on my health. And it's a pretty humbling experience when you finally reach the end of yourself and you have nothing else to hold on. Your body is completely broken down and all you have to do is stand in front of a merciful God and basically weep. And yet it was the most restoring experience as well. And so that's really personal to me. Now, I don't have the hair of the prostitute to wipe Jesus' feet, but I can tell you what, I know what it feels like now to bow in front of Him and say, God, forgive me. <laughs> I've sinned, I've sinned in front of you. And so, I want to give you that encouragement today that there is not a single sin, there's not a single thing that we can do that God can't forgive, that God can't restore. That's encouragement that I want to share. And it ta- it's taken me a long time to walk through to figure that out but here's my challenge to you today as we really get into the heart of this message do we have a Simon mindset or do we have the mindset of the prostitute you see to Simon this was all about him his good works his good deeds and so when Jesus comes to his house he doesn't greet him with the respect and the honor that Jesus deserves because to Simon it's about me it's about what I can do and then you look at this prostitute. And in, in, in the first century, in Jewish culture, if you're a prostitute, you are the lowest of the low. Okay, This isn't Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman here. Okay, You are some of the lowest of the low. And we can only imagine the sin that she has brought in front of this holy Jesus who's standing in front of her. And all she can do is kneel down before him, She brings nothing of herself. She kneels down in front of him, and she begins to weep, and she begins to wash her tears with her own hair. And guess who Jesus says is most forgiven? You see that analogy? To much that has been forgiven, you too will be able to forgive much. And I take that back to Hosea. I take that back to his understanding that Gomer is not going to be faithful to him, and yet he remains faithful to her. And God knows that Israel is continually not going to be faithful to him, but he continues to be faithful to Israel. But there's a point here that we don't want to miss. And that is that when he finally roars, he's going to get our attention. He's one day going to roar. And when he roars, we better be ready. That is such a key learning in these verses. When he roars, will we be ready? And so I want to take a look at how this impacted Paul. Because I always believe this, for Paul to have endured all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the hardship that came in in advancing the gospel, he had to have seen something that would have completely changed his life. That's the only way you would have sacrificed the way that he did. He has his road to Damascus moment and Jesus appears to him and he says, why do you continue to persecute me? And it's on that day that Paul does a complete 180. And he goes from persecuting Christians to being the greatest advocate, the greatest prophet, the greatest apostle that the world has seen. Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul does that. And we have some key learnings that we can gather from him to tie to Hosea, to tie up this whole theme that God is continually working to restore us. And he proves that to us by using a guy like Paul, who once persecuted his own church now using Paul to advance his church and to advance the gospel. It is Paul who in in his letter to the Ephesians wrote, Aside from God's mercy, we are dead. We are destined for wrath. But because of his great love for us, the same love that Hosea is talking about, the same love that he perpetually shows to Gomer, because of that great love, God made us alive in Christ, and by mercy, we're saved. It's by mercy that we are saved. So what gets in the way? Well, I think two things happen. Two things get in our way when we think about our relationship with God. One of it is sometimes we think that we're unworthy of God's continued grace. I've messed up way too many times. I'm not worthy of this, and so we sort of give up. We're back to that Simon mindset, what we do. It's not about his grace, but it's about what we do. Or sometimes I think we think we're so worthy that we don't need to think about it. There was an interesting study, I think, that parallels this. They did a study of 15-year-olds in math and science of several countries around the world. And the Chinese students, these Chinese 15-year-olds, took this math and science test, and they scored the very highest of any students in the world. But they gave a second um, sort of questionnaire um, to survey the kids after they took it. So they asked how the students, they saw how the students actually did, and then they asked them how they think they did, or thought that they did. The Chinese were number one in how they scored. And the United States kids were number 15. Didn't do so well. But guess who finished number one in how well they thought they did? The American students. Guess guess where the Chinese ranked themselves when they were asked how well they thought they did? Almost toward the bottom. So we have this uneven parallel here between these gifts that they have and their ability to use them, and then on the other hand, maybe we're not doing so well, but yet we think we're doing really well. And I think that parallels a lot with our faith because both of these are strangleholds in our relationship with Christ. See, we could have this sort of fear that paralyzes us because we never think that we're worthy. We never think that we're good enough. And so we never get to feel like that David. We never get to see ourselves as that sculpture that God is continuing to, pour, to, 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 to fill in our lives. We miss that because we're hung up on regrets. We're hung up on things that we wish we hadn't done. We're hung up on these sins, and we're promised in Scripture that when we take our sins to God, he can forgive them and separate them like the east from the west, and yet we ourselves have the hardest time forgiving. So we could have that struggle. On the other hand, we could have the other side, which is just as dangerous, and that is this. We think we're far better than we are. We think we're far more ahead of things than we really are, And so we don't think we need God except in the emergencies. And so we go about our lives not fully getting plugged into where he could put us because we're constantly making it about ourselves. And somewhere in the middle is the middle ground where this needs to fit. Great is his love and rich is his mercy, and that's an ongoing process. It's just like that statue of David. Michelangelo, for years and years, I want you to picture God working in your life over the course of your life, chipping away, smoothing out this rough spot, chipping and prodding and poking, and finally that sculpture. I I believe that if Michelangelo lived 200 more years, he'd still be working on that statue because it's never complete. Just like I don't believe we are ever going to be fully complete until we see him in heaven someday. He's constantly forming us, shaping us, Chipping away at all of our rough edges because he's got a masterpiece. And we've got to let him restore us to get to that point. So we have two choices here. Hosea is saying this, Paul says this, Jesus says this. We have two choices in this life when we think about what's beyond. Number one, we can reach God ourselves. That's not a good way to go. We have that mindset sometimes. We can can get there ourselves, or we can come to him through Jesus. And Jesus has some very clear things to to say about this. Do we have the Simon mindset, or do we have the mindset of the prostitute? Jesus says this, because I think sometimes we do get a little bit arrogant in our faith. Jesus says this, you shall not murder. And we can sit here and go, I don't think anyone's killed anybody in here. I, I haven't. I don't know if anyone else has. No, of course not. He says, don't murder, but listen to what he says after that. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Now that changes the standard a little bit, doesn't it? Has anyone ever gotten mad at anybody (laughs) to the point where it has fractured a relationship? Jesus has some strong words about that, about restoring that. How about this one? He says, don't commit adultery. Okay, let me check that one off. But then he goes on to say, but I also say... Anyone who looks lustfully at another has already committed adultery in their heart. Did that bar just go a little higher? (laughs) That bar just became unreachable, didn't it? And if it hasn't for you yet, try this one. Everyone someday will have to give an account for every empty word they have spoken. Anyone match that bar yet? (laughs) That's on our own. That's the standard. That's what it looks like to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. We can't, mat- we can't get there, can we? So how do we? Through Jesus. In front of God's holiness, we cannot stand in his presence. Because if that were the case, we would all deserve death. And Hosea is warning us about that. Jesus is describing what this kind of kingdom looks like. And Paul is taking that ministry and sharing that throughout the, middle, the, the Mediterranean. It's the heritage that we have now as a church. Our message, as part of the gospel, is that the conduit to spiritual growth begins with our humility. It begins with our surrender. It begins with our surrender and faith to Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way. And so I want to share with you three things that come when we finally surrender. When we finally reach the end of ourselves, when we finally reach the point where this isn't about measuring ourselves by what we do, but more measuring us by who we are in Christ, there are three very powerful things that can happen. I want to go through each one here, and I want to share them with you and give you that encouragement as you take them down. First of all, we use his restoring power to grow closer to God. We, we go closer to him. That's the first thing we do. Is that when we have a surrendered, humble heart, when we finally say enough's enough, I surrender, the one first thing that can happen is we grow closer to Him. 2 Corinthians 1 8 through 10, Paul says this We are crushed and overwhelmed. We see how powerless we are to help ourselves, but that was good, for then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone can save us, and He did help us. That's a promise. That's a covenant that God gives to Hosea and the people of Israel 3,000 years ago. It's the covenant that he gives to us today until he returns someday and that is if you surrender I will pull you closer to me. That's a promise. Now if you're walking through anything that's tough right now, whether it's health, whether it's relationships, whether it's past regrets, whether it's anything that is just holding you down, hold on to that. Take that in prayer through Jesus today take it there because God says I can help restore it right now we draw closer to him Dr. Larry Crabb is a fantastic Christian psychologist he wrote a book called Shattered Dreams and in it he wrote this he says I believe that only broken people can truly worship now that's a pretty provocative statement but let me go on here for a second he says this he says it comes down to this God's best is available only to those who sacrifice or are willing to sacrifice the merely good. Now see if this rings a bell to you because this, once again, these are the things that kind of punch me in the face sometimes. If we are satisfied with good health, responsible children, enjoyable marriages, close friendships, interesting jobs and successful ministries, he says we will never hunger for God's best. We will never truly worship. I've come to believe that only broken people can truly worship. Broken people like that prostitute. Unbroken people. Happy folks who enjoy their blessings more than the blesser. They say thanks to God the way a shopper thanks a clerk. Don't you like that? When we get so tied up in just focusing on how God can bless us, we begin to see it as a transactional relationship. But when we see ourselves completely and utterly helpless in front of God, a God who promises to restore and build us, it changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? That's how we go to God in prayer. God, I come to you helpless. God, I come to you on my knees. And and, and we've really worked on the practice of actually literally getting on our knees to remind ourselves of that humble position. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray during the course of the day as you're moving about, But sometimes just taking those few minutes in the morning, those few minutes in the evening, to just get in a position of surrender and spilling it out to God can be healing and it can be powerful. So number one, we grow closer to him. Number two, we become more like him. I want to share this verse with you as well from 2 Corinthians chapter four. Paul writes, for this reason, we can never become discouraged. Even though our physical being is gradually decaying, Yet our spiritual being is renewed every single day. And these temporary troubles that we suffer will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble. For we fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen only lasts for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. I think that's important for us to remember that as we continue to work our way through this life, as we continue to lean on God for his strength and his power, we understand that we're here for a split second of time. Split second. And when that time comes, when it's our time to see him, I want us to be ready. I want us to all be prepared. And in doing so, we become more like him every single day. I want to give you this encouragement. Whatever you're suffering right now, whatever you're struggling with, sometimes our greatest sufferings can be the door to our greatest ministries. We can better understand if we've had to walk through something painful, if we have had to endure suffering through something unexpected, that can sometimes be the greatest way that we can minister to somebody else who may be walking that same path right behind us. Just keep that in mind as you think about life. Um, two weeks ago, um, Mr. Tom Lang, um, he got his name on the football field up at uh, Lawton Bronx, and he still, he still comes and teaches. He substitutes for us and he coaches junior high football. And one morning two weeks ago, he just had a little stroke right in the middle of school. And um, we had, he got to the hospital and he turned out he's fine. He's, he's home now, but I remember that very feeling. Um, being in that bed, not knowing what's next. And so I went to him uh, that night, and I just said to him, you know, Tom, can I pray with you? And here's what I've learned over the last two years. There's so much power in just being able to say to somebody without any reservation, can I not just pray for you, but would it be okay if I prayed with you? And I've never been turned down. If there's one thing that every single person sitting in these pews today could do, one small step toward the ministry of Christ to becoming more like him is just being in the habit of noticing a place where someone is in need and having the courage to simply say, do you mind if I pray with you? mind if I pray with you? And that prayer could be as simple as this. God, I want you to fill, fill, fill this person with your love right now as they need it. And number two, what do they specifically need? It's not hard. You don't have to be a great orator. You don't have to be a a seminarian to simply have the ability to hold somebody's hand and invite prayer with them, invite God into that relationship. So we become more like Jesus every day that we continue to let him restore us. And third and finally, I want to share this with you. When we get to that point where we're drawing closer to God, When we get to that point where our lives are starting to reflect more like Jesus, the third thing that this allows us to do, God's restoring power that allows us to help other people. And I know so many people in this church who have a gift of mercy. They have the gift of being able to use their lives to impact others, to serve in ways of mercy, to be there for those who are in need. And Paul writes this. He says, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort other people. Um, This past summer, um, Beth and I went to see her Aunt Dorothy. She's 82 years old now. And we spent an entire afternoon, and we don't do this enough anymore, where we put our phones away, I think we even left them in the car, and we sit around and we sip a cup of tea and we talk. It's like, wow, I used to do this a lot, now I'm always checking email, put the phone away and we sat, and we talked, and we reminisced, and I didn't know Dorothy very well, so I got to hear her story that day, and here's what she shared. She was married to her husband, Neil. They had four children, and early on um, in their marriage, things started to fall apart for Neil. He started to really um, become an alcoholic, and to Dorothy and to all these children that she's raising, you know, he's teaching school, he's coaching, and he's coming home and he's drinking. I mean, that's basically the course of day after day, which turns into year after year. And through all of this, through all of the tough times, she holds on and she holds on and she holds on. Well, finally, when he's 62 years old, he passes away. And they're holding hands. And Dorothy, holding his hand, and she looks at us as she tells this story. She says, Neil looked up to me, and he said, Dorothy, he said, none of this was your fault. And shortly after that, he passed away. Now, I say that for this reason. I tell this story for this reason. What people didn't know about Neil was that he was, he was kind of one of those all-American kids going through high school. And then in 1942, he got drafted into the war. And he saw things in World War II that he could not get out of his head. This was long before we knew about post-traumatic stress disorder. This was long before we knew about the mental toll that warfare has on soldiers. And so he took to the only thing he knew how to make those demons go away, and he found them in a bottle. And intuitively, Dorothy knew the demons that he struggled with, but she also knew about all the people gossiping about her family and all the people who were saying hurtful things about her husband, and yet she stayed strong, she stayed, truth, she stayed with him through it all. And she looks back on that time now as we're sitting and talking and I don't think she would have it any other way. And I can tell you this about Dorothy. For 30 years of her life she was also a social worker dealing with broken families, dealing with brokenness in homes. She took the very pain that she was suffering through in her marriage and she was able to as best she could hold it together for her kids but at the same time she was able to go and serve other people through the very pain that she was suffering for herself. Sometimes our greatest ministries come from our greatest sufferings and our greatest struggles. And I got to imagine just knowing Dorothy's personality as we really guys I really got to know her that day what she was able to do for 30 years for family after family after family. And the greatest testimony to her strength was through all of that turmoil, all of her kids blossomed. All of her kids went on to fully functioning, strong, committed lives to Christ. And they're serving all over the place. One's in California, one's in the Twin Cities. She raised good kids, despite all of the hurdles, despite all of the challenges. I want to give you this encouragement today. Whatever you're struggling with, take it to God Draw closer to him through it. He's pursuing right now. Let him restore what's broken in your life. It could be relationships. It could be past hurts, past regrets. Your health, I don't know what it could be. But I have a feeling a lot of us are still, every day we go through with struggles. Take him to God. He'll draw closer to you. We'll learn to become more like Jesus, and by becoming more like Jesus, we'll actually be able to flourish more in ministry because we're going to see ourselves as being able to help others more. So here are the final steps to close up today. If we can put that up on the screen one more time, Nick, I'd really appreciate it. I truly believe that that's God's design for every single person in this room today. My question to you is this What are you encased in right now? What is keeping you from living and feeling and thriving like God intends you to do? Is it fear? Is it sort of the, the Chinese kids who are successful but they don't have a very high esteem? So there's fear, I'm not worthy. Is it that, that, that kind of attitude? Is it the other side? Sometimes I just don't think about God enough, and I'm just going day to day, and I'm sort of just gotten myself off track. Let me give you this assurance. Wherever you are in your walk, God can meet you where you're at. That's a promise. He can meet you right here, right now. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if you've never invited him into your heart, if you've never been baptized into him, Because that's the promise we have. We're filled with the Holy Spirit that will direct our lives. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I'm going to give you this invitation. When we're done, I'm going to stand out. I'm going to give everybody a hug. And if you haven't made that acceptance yet, I'm going to invite you to accept him now so you can go and thrive. If you have accepted him, but maybe you're sort of this way a little bit, I want you to ask yourself, am I living with a Simon mindset where I'm putting all this pressure on myself? Or I'm putting all of this pride in myself? Or do I have the mindset of the prostitute? Or I am completely understanding that short of his power and glory, I am helpless. If you're there and you just need prayer to help you sort of get over that bar, I want to be available to do that with you as well. But that's my invitation, and that's my challenge. Is it a Simon mindset or can we truly go before God with the mindset of the prostitute? Tears in our eyes saying, God, I have, I have really, really, really messed up. And short of your mercy, I can't do it. The freedom, the feeling that comes when you finally reach the end of yourself is the beginning of where God picks up the pieces. And it is amazing. And it is powerful. I want to leave you with one last image. And I don't have the picture for it. But um, when I was... Um, when I was uh, going through all of this you start looking at your heart then you start looking at your brain and I got really good news there there is actual x-ray evidence that I do have a heart and I do have a brain They're there I saw it's really cool but you also see some damage that gets done and you realize that your body is not here forever and you realize just how fragile life is and so as I thought about all of that I thought about brokenness, not only just in body, but in sometimes our brokenness in spirit. And that's why this idea that God can restore it all is so powerful to me. And so I want to close with just this idea. Uh, My son has really gotten into high jumping. Um, It's really great because then I can just be dad standing in the back of the mat kind of out of the way. And I'm I'm not a big Facebook person anymore because I just... I see all the studies that talk about how it leads to depression because you're just always putting your best self up there, and it's just a waste of time. So once in a while, I put something encouraging. I put a picture up that means something, but I'm not trolling Facebook all day like, I, some, like we sometimes do because, yeah, you know, i got more important things to do. But there's a picture that I put up that I want to close with today, and it's, it's watching my son high jumping. And there's just this picture we caught, where he was going over the bar, and, and, and to watch him, that determined look on his face, and the way he attacks that bar, and the way he begins to spring up, and the picture I just have is just him sort of like this from back, and his arms are wide open, and his head's leaned back, and he's getting over that bar, and here's what he knows. He knows that when he's attacking that bar, there's that mat behind him that's going to catch him, and it's in that moment when he's caught That he pauses, that he thinks, if he cleared the jump, I'm moving to the next height. If I didn't, I'm going to think my way through what I need to do the next time I get to jump. But there's a moment of rest and pause. And then after the rest and the pause, he turns right back around and he goes and he attacks again and again and again. What I'm going to challenge you today to wrap all this up is for God to restore our lives, we have to give margin in our lives to allow that space to, number one, take a pause To hear that small voice, that whisper that guides us, that leads us, that's the Holy Spirit working in us. And then we get right back up and we attack again. We are broken sometimes, but we're never defeated because of Jesus Christ. Hosea talks about a God who's looking to restore, restore, restore. But we can't let him do that work if we're so busy that we don't have time to pause. We can't let him do that work if we don't have the time to give him the attention to speak through us, through his word, through prayer, through good counsel with those around us who love us. If we don't have margin in our life for that, we're never on that high jump mat with a chance to catch our breath. And so life just keeps turning into circles. Make margin in your life to pause. Hear his small voice and give this thought. He's there to encourage you. At the end of the day. He's there to restore us. And so my last verse is simply this, and it's one that I've just committed to myself every single day. It's this promise in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where he says, God says, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future. If you feel stuck today, in any way, in a rut, hold on to that truth. You can draw closer to God You can grow more like Jesus and you can be unleashed to help others simply by surrender. We surrender that today. New start today comes with a restored heart this morning and that's what leads us into the week ahead.